Welcome to another episode of the Women in Work podcast. We have got a great show for you today. I'm Missy Branch, and today Courtney and I will interview our friend, Whitney K. Pipkin. That is right. We love Whitney. She actually serves with us here at Women in Work. She writes a lot of our social media posts. But her day job, she is a journalist, and so we get to chat with her all about being a journalist. And she's also the the author of a new book that releases in February of 2024. It is entitled, We Shall All Be Changed, How Facing Death with Loved Ones Transforms Us. So one of the things I love about this conversation today, Missy, that our listeners are going to enjoy is we really learn about what it is to be a journalist, some of the skills involved to make a good journalist, um, how she really stepped into that role. And she gives tips for women who are interested in becoming a journalist. She kind of shares what they need to know about that. Yes. And, you know, as a person who loves to read, I don't take it for granted what it takes to be a good writer. And so hearing about that from her is just so interesting. But I think one of the things I love is when we get to ask people about how their work images God, I love her answer yes. to this. So it's, gonna, it's worth a, It's a good listen. It is. And then she shares a lot about her own story of losing her mom, and which led her to mm-hmm. uh, write the book that's just coming out. And so if I could just share with you guys a little bit her bio of what she's all about. So Whitney lives with her husband and three children and her dog named Honeybun in Northern Virginia where they are longtime members of Grace Bible Church in Lorton. She works as a journalist, as we said, at the Chesapeake Bay Journal, and her freelance work has been um, has appeared in the Washington Post, National Geographic, and NPR, among others. She's also written for the Gospel Coalition, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and Common Good Magazine. And she has, she says she has the joy of writing content for women in work, which is also very nice of her to say. Um, She lost her mom uh, after 20 years of her mom wrestling with cancer. And so now she's got this new book coming out. Again, the title is We Shall All Be Changed, How Facing Death with Loved Ones Transforms Us. So we know you're going to love this show. Thanks for listening today, guys. All right, so Whitney, we're so glad to have you on today. Um, tell us just a little bit about you. Where did you grow up and where have you lived most of your adult life? Thanks for having me, Courtney. Um, I grew up in Wichita, Kansas, so very far from where I'm at now in Virginia. And I uh, married somebody in the military, so he was active duty when we got married. And so we moved to Washington State and lived there for a couple of years. And then we moved to the Northern Virginia, D.C. area about in 2012, so about a decade, more than a decade ago now, okay. we've been here. I didn't realize your husband was military. I did not even know that, Whitney. So I guess I should... She's reserves now. Yeah. Okay. I guess I should tell our listeners how we even connected, first of all, Whitney. Yeah. I mean, was it Instagram? I feel like the Graham has brought many friendships know. into my life. <laughs> it may have been Women in Work's website. I know at some point, you know, in various seasons of discouragement and work, I have Googled things, looking for resources as a Mm. Christian woman. And I know I watched the Jen Welcome video on your website at one point. And then I think I reached out through Instagram and we connected. 
And it was, it was 2020, wasn't it? It was like, gosh, was it, was it during COVID or maybe 2019? I don't know. So, and ever since then, when the before times, <laughs> yeah. So Whitney, um, has written, if you guys have liked <laughs> Whitney writes these beautiful posts for women at work, social media, um, you have written some of our probably most mm-hmm. cherished posts, um, especially some of the prayers you've written for workers, um, stand out in my mind. And so guys just know as you're listening today that you're talking to someone, you're hearing someone today who, um, loves this organization, mm-hmm. has served with us and has really served you guys already. And you didn't even know it probably by some of the beautiful posts that she's written. Okay. Well, tell us Whitney, how did you come to faith in Christ? So I'm one of those people that doesn't have uh, a real particular moment. I never really knew a time when I didn't know that the Lord was real and that He was near to me. Uh, probably my first major trial was when my parents got divorced when I was five and my sister was three. And we were in a Christian school at the time, by God's grace. And I just remember memorizing Psalm 23 in kindergarten. I remember knowing God was with me and journaling in my little Beauty and the Beast journal uh, and little prayers to the Lord and just knowing really tangibly his presence in that um, early, early trial of just kind of upheaval in my family. And I gave my life to the Lord between then and when I was seven years old, um, I had a believer's baptism and then really began reading my Bible on my own through a youth group in middle school and high school. A youth group is a big part of my story. So discipleship, I'm very passionate about you know, reaching back to people a little bit younger and um, doing, having had so many people do that for me. And wanting these examples in my life of different family types and different experiences that I wasn't always getting at home. Although my home life was still really great, despite, you know, that early introduction. Um, My parents are both remarried for many years. And um, so it's not terrible, (laughs) but God has just used every, every bit of that uh, testimony in my life to transform me and to give me an early love for his word and an early really understanding of his presence and his witness. That's really beautiful. When I think about um, just your voice, as I'm listening to you, I think about how we hear your voice in your writing, but we don't necessarily get to hear your voice, voice. And just, it's just this beautiful, like, (laughs) oh, she sounds as beautiful in person as she does through her writing. (laughs) It's just, it's just the first thing that came to my mind. Um, but one of the things that's beautiful about writing is that people do get to hear your voice, right? And so I'm not naturally a writer, so I really appreciate all of the effort, skill, and talent that goes into journalism and writing. What was appealing to you about becoming a journalist? I also am rare in that I knew I wanted to be a journalist from a really young age, probably about second grade. Okay. Yeah. My uh, So growing up in Wichita, Kansas, we had a really strong local newspaper, the Wichita Eagle. Um, it was a McClatchy on paper. And my papa, my grandfather, my mom's dad worked there in the advertising department for years. So that was his career was in advertising. And so I had early memories going there, seeing how things were printed. So I interned there in high school, answering the phones on the weekends and um, returned to intern in college. And just, I just loved, uh, I just loved everything about like the newspaper culture and life and the, the pace of it. Um the, the hustle, the, I think I get from my dad, this like curiosity about people and what's their story. And so it gives you an excuse to be a total busybody and ask people, you know, tell me everything about how this came about. So <laughs> that's, 
That's great. And then I love the way now I've come to love journalism and the way it allows me to explore God's world and to always be learning. And Mm. um, at its finest, journalist is truly, it's truth-telling. It's done with integrity and faithfulness. And, you know, about any topic, there's a truth to be told. It can be a hard truth. It can be a beautiful truth. It can be a redemption story sometimes. Um, But looking for that. And then, you know, now as both a believer and a journalist, I see these themes running across, you know, this is happening because of the fall, but look, this person is working for redemption in the story or, um, you know, an intractable environmental problem. Look at how creative these people are trying to find solutions. So I see these themes now in my, now I'm doing a lot of environmental journalism, um, but it's always about people. It's always about finding and telling the truth. Ultimately, I think. I think mm. that is so interesting, Whitney. That's awesome. How did you get into this yeah. section of environmental journalism? How did that happen? Really started when we were in Washington State. It's kind of just in the Pacific Northwest. It's just the culture there is everything is about out, being outdoors, taking care of the outdoors, um, and local food. So I really came through the local food angle. I was a business reporter and I was writing about local farmers. And that's how I learned to cook was in the newsroom. We would all get CSA boxes and we'd bring in our like random, you know, kohlrabi, which looks like an alien vegetable. And I would bring it in and be like, what do you guys do with this? You know? And so they taught me how to cook. I only knew how to make guacamole when I got married (laughs) at 22 years old, having lived in like having not lived on my own, you know, and I was terrified and I came to love cooking. I was a food writer for about a decade, um, but I'm not really anymore. But so through, through that lens, um, I ended up writing about the conflicts between fishermen and farmers, salmon, uh, tribal fishing rights Mm. and cows on the land. And everything was, there was not two sides. There was many sides to every story and it was complex yeah. And just being able to dig in and tell people, like, there's so much nuance here. It's not simple. It's not black and white. And if, you know, and to see that if they could just hear each other, maybe they could find a solution or something. I think that's great. So we haven't interviewed a journalist. So what would you say if there are women out there listening today who are like, you know, this sounds really interesting. Maybe I could pursue this. What would you say are the top five skills like it doesn't have to be five. The top skills you would say, um, if you want to be a good journalist, here's what you need to be pursuing. Mm. So journalism, the the economics of journalism are really tough. I graduated into the recession and I got some Mm. of the last paid internships that were out there. And then they started being, you know, school credit only kind of thing. So I will say, think very, you know, realistically about what the opportunities are in this field. I work for an environmental nonprofit journalism. So it's nonprofit journalism. So we do grant making and and donations and a mix of advertising as well. But the, the business model has changed dramatically with the advent of social media and online. So it's, it's really tough. It's really tough to find jobs. Um, but I I think it's just great if you can do it, there's Mm -hmm. still a need. I think the industry just needs to figure out how to fund it in a new era. Um, so I would say number one, be, be curious about people. Um, my husband makes fun of me, like we're on a date, I have a hard time not eavesdropping on everybody <laughs> else's conversation. <laughs> I'm like, it's so interesting that you want to know what their story is. Um, and then <laughs> for journalism, I, I hope, you know, online they've gotten away from this, but when you were having to fill, a, you know, here's your word count and it has to fit on this page, you have to fit what you want to say into this word count. And that helps you write 
with clarity mm-hmm. and uh, simplicity. And, and so you're distilling these big concepts down to their raw materials to what is what really needs to be said in the simplest language. So that's a great skill. And I think to do that, you need like good editors who are going to kill your darlings, you know, your darling little words that you think are amazing. Mm-hmm. I got to cut those and get it down to the nitty gritty of what needs to be said. So anything that you're doing to write simply and clearly, that could be, you know, Instagram is you're writing simply and clearly in a few words in a screenshot or whatever. Um, you also have to love learning and love, you know, learning about new things. I mean, having that curiosity is what keeps you going. I think when, when it's hard, cause I, number four is, you know, you have to like hard work and, um, there aren't, there are a lot of shortcuts you can take in journalism. It, it feels sometimes. And in the clickbait world, um, a lot of people are being asked to take those shortcuts and increasingly, you know, AI might be doing a lot of our news wow. gathering and that is going to be at a loss. So the more you can consider your journalism or whatever work you're doing, any writing, how can I do this as a human? Like, how can I push back against this pressure to just be a producing machine and to live well within my limits and to say, this is, this is me writing as a human with a human perspective that I bring to this topic. I think that's what we've got to hang on to in, in journalism and in all of writing. Um, and then lastly, it's all about people, um, building relationships, remembering people's names, which I'm terrible at, but I will remember their faces and like five things about them more quickly sometimes. Um, and especially in freelance and book publishing, even now it's, it's who, you know, and how to stay connected to people in creative ways. That's super helpful. How much of this actually came natural to you? Like how much of this did you like, I'm in it. I've seen this and I can do it or, and how much did you just be like, I have to grow into this. I'm not getting it. I did a newspaper in high school. My best friend still to this day, we were high school newspaper editors together. We had a blast. Mm -hmm. We goofed off an awful lot. Um, And we had a great, you know, I remember like my high school English teacher just getting early praise about writing, um, mm. but also people that would push me and go, oh, I want you to do this poetry competition or this, you know, submit to this magazine. Um, also a sweet thing. Um, my mom prayed for us when we were young, my sister and I, my sister's the singer. She works on staff as a church leading worship and I'm the writer and that's what we've always been. And so my mom saw those gifts and she prayed that God would give us specific gifts and, and lead us into them. Um, really wanting her, her daughters not to be in competition, um, but wanting us to find something we're gifted at early and, and to pursue it. So I think a lot of that was, you know, I mean, in the second grade, knowing what you wanted to do and then actually, actually doing, doing it doing is it, pretty yeah. bananas. Um, just God's provision. But uh, yeah, I, I do. I am grateful. And my husband and I have talked about, how can we pray our kids? How can we observe them well enough to see what they're good at and then pray and, mm-hmm. and direct them toward those things? It's really wise. All right. So tell us, Whitney, just give us, you know, a typical kind of day in the life of a journalist. Like how many stories are you working on at a time? Are you calling up people? Are you, you know, I'm, just tell us what it's like. Yeah. So I work for I work at home now and have for 11 years. So I don't remember how to, you know, get totally dressed most of the time. Um, So that looks a lot different from the brave folks that are going into a newsroom Mm. environment every day. Mm -hmm. So I will say, you know, hats off. That is the the real uh, rubber meets the road. But uh, I'm at a, Mm -hmm. we we produce a monthly physical newspaper as well as, you know, regularly for online. 
Uh, so that ha- it has some inherent flexibility with a monthly deadline, but I'm trying to stay on pace with about a story a week wow. and they're longer stories. Um, so that means I'm reporting now all four of the stories I'm working on for the next issue. Like I'm getting the ball rolling on them because we just wrapped up the last issue. And I'm thinking, what can I write first? What's going to be fastest to get off my plate and turn something in so that the copy editor can get going and laying out? Um, so trying to be kind of in an always, what can I push push forward today so that tomorrow me will be grateful that I made that call today? Um, a lot of emails, a lot of setting up um, appointments and interviews, um, a mix of phone interviews and in person as much as possible, especially when I'm writing about something that's very like tangible outdoors. Can I get on site and meet people? Can my photographer meet with me? And, or am I going to take the photos myself? Um, day in the life. I don't, I have three young kids, nine, six, and three. Um, so, you know, Courtney and Missy, you have known what our mornings are like. Um, they're just peaceful and quiet and beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) I think I could just. I think I, I've never wanted like an Alexa or anything, but I should just have a machine that says about 16 times, put your shoes on, please put your shoes on, mm-hmm. go ahead and put both shoes mm-hmm. on because we're leaving, you know? So that's kind of my, my morning. Although I do try to get up before the kids exercise Bible, I'm leading Bible study right now. That's really intense. We're doing Mary Wiley's uh, oh, everyday theology in my church. Yeah. Isn't that fun? Yay. Oh yes. yes. That's a good one. So, um, so I'm like, I cannot get behind. I need to be up and doing that. And um, But then as far as the content of my day, once the kids are at school, um, it really, really varies, which I love, um, which I love. But uh, working from home, I have to, had to develop a lot of new disciplines around, okay, we got to get dressed or we're not going to be motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, things like that that have been helpful. Um yeah, it just depends Let on my day. Let me ask you a so. quick follow-up. When you, sorry, Missy, I to cut you off. When you mm-hmm. said you work on a story a week, how long, like how many words is a typical story? I know you said, you know, it has to fit the page of. So one page is like a thousand words. Two pages is uh, 1,800 words. Okay. Yeah. So you've written book chapters. Book chapters are like 3,500 words. Okay. So it's not yeah. quite that long, but. Okay, I was just curious on the longer end. There might be some shorter briefs. Go ahead, Missy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I was just going to ask, um, what does it look like travel for you? Do, does your job require you to travel a lot, or are you able to just report from home? I um, we're really we all work really pretty independently, and I've been at the Bay Journal for ten years, so more than ten years, about ten years. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, you know, have learned um, how to structure my time. So I'm very choosy about travel, just given my personal life. I'm the only one on our little staff with young family. So I try to be pretty, but I've done like two trips recently, but they're all within the Chesapeake Bay watershed, which is nice. So they're all within driving distance because we live, we cover the Chesapeake Bay watershed. So this area of the DC area. Mm -hmm. So I've driven like to Virginia beach and did an overnight. I I went to Yorktown, did an overnight and I brought my daughter on that Mm -hmm. one for, cause it was summer. Um, so that was fun. Um, but yeah, I try to not do too much of that because my husband works um, pretty pretty full yes. plate and he does reserves oh, yeah, one yeah. weekend a month. And um, and now he's finishing his master's 
so he's writing papers and I am over here twiddling my thumbs, <laughs> trying to not hover and tell him. <laughs> That's awesome. I hope you're editing. Hopefully he is asking you to edit. Um, Whitney, yeah. do you I really help him with research? Yeah. Do you have to come up? Like, how do you come up with the topics for these stories? I'm, I mean, that would be overwhelming to me every single week. I've kind of come up with a new story and research it and interview these people and then actually write it. Like how, how just even the topics, how are you coming up with those? It's a rotation. You know, you think about laundry is always there <laughs> waiting for you. Um, there's always six stories okay. in my inbox yelling at me. And it's a matter of which one's um, the one to do right now, which one's timely, which one's important. Um, is it a story for us to tell? So the Bay Journal being a monthly newspaper, we're not going to cover breaking news as much because it's not going to be fresh in a month from now. But we're looking at more of the think pieces or the, you know, why does this matter? We're kind of the authoritative source on the Bay cleanup and things like that. Um, so I always have okay. more ideas than I can write um, just from, from. And then, you know, you kind of develop a beat over time and people will keep you posted. You're writing something uh, that you're following up How on that you wrote about before. Um, Smart. You know, one of my... Yeah, so no lack of ideas. Um, a thought I was having just as you were talking is that even though you're writing about things that are not necessarily ministry related, you still are approaching the way you write because of with a Christian worldview. So how do you think, how does being a Christian uh, make your work or your, how does it impact your work as a journalist differently than you would say maybe your non-believing coworker? I'd be interested to hear what my coworkers would say to that question because I only know my own head. I only know my own thoughts. Uh, and I, in my own mind, what I believe about God makes my work both more important and less ultimate in a lot of ways. So it's valuable because it's done as unto the Lord and I am accountable to him for whether I'm doing it with excellence and integrity. But it's also, you know, if if though I've done my best and tried, if I make a mistake or if I can't get to everything I want to get to, I can rest within that as a good boundary line, you know? So this work isn't ultimate, especially writing about like climate change environment. It can be really discouraging. I see a lot of my peers being discouraged. Um, and so I am grateful for the narrative I have from the gospel of creation, fall, redemption, consummation. And I'm reminding myself of that, you know, even when I don't see it in this particular story, I'm zooming out for that bigger picture of what, what is God doing in the world and how can I still trace those threads? And, and that's what, how, what gives me from despair, I think, in some of this work. Um, so being able to trust the Lord with the work I'm doing, and we've talked a lot at Women in Work stuff about what does stewardship look like and what does faithfulness look like? So you know, the Lord knows if I have a migraine that day and what does faithfulness look like on that day? Um, and, and that's going to be, so that's my kind of, and gratefully my work is, is flexible enough. It's, you know, get the work done. Um, we don't care, you know, what you did if you were doing it at nine o'clock on the dot. Right. So, um, I can be kind to myself and live well within the boundary lines mm. of that's great. being a, in a body. Yeah, no, I love That's that. Awesome. Yeah. Well, as you know, one of the things we love to think about at Women in Work is the fact that we as women bear the image of God. We we have um, 
you know, he has put his image on us. And so that makes us special and unique in creation. And we also reflect him in certain ways. So how would you say as a journalist, you image God? I love this question. I love that you guys ask it of everybody. It's so helpful to think through this lens. Um, You know, ultimately, this is God's world that he spoke into being with words. So I get to image him when I use words to describe the world that he made, whether it's the brokenness from sin or the Mm -hmm. redemption from God's people doing what they're made to do to steward and work, um, to work it and to keep it. Uh, but my favorite is when I can see, yeah, those themes of of redemption going through creation, a creation that's literally groaning for it. Um, and I can see how creation bends toward flourishing when people are doing what they were made to do and stewarding it. Uh, wow. And even if they're not doing it to the glory of God, uh, I see them bearing his image uniquely in the way that they're they're pushing back on on the fall. Um, and you know, they they might have their other reasons for doing it, but I can see that and praise the Lord for who he made them to be. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you always know that you were, um, made to do this? I mean, I know you said you wanted to do this, but it's different to want to do something and then to know mm-hmm. I'm in the right lane. Did you always feel like you were like in the right lane with your writing? So I've always been, yeah, right. Like I've needed to write to process. I would say that's like Mm. the main sign if you need to do it. Um, So I've got, I think you might even be able to see on my bookshelf, like this is my journals, this one, this one (laughs) from high school to, you know, they're not as, I don't do it as much now in this season of life. It's very busy, (laughs) but um, I've just always needed to put things to paper to understand what I think what I feel. And especially, you know, like the psalmist to get to that, but God in my circumstance, to get to that, what, where in the world is God in this, um, in hard times. So that would be, you know, if you need to write, then you should write. Um, I have doubted like some of the journalism. I'm not a skeptic. Um, I'm not a Mm. natural skeptic. So Mm. that's been something I've had to, to work at. Um, I have always had coworkers that are more like, well, how do you know that? Did you ask him about that? Did you FOIA that? Did you go and find the documents and prove that? And I'm like, Oh, um, I'm going to do that now. (laughs) You know, so my nature as not that traditional journalistic skeptic, um, hard hitting questions. I don't love that part as much like the investigative. Well, thinking of that though, like what are some, is that necessary to be a journalist? What do you think are some tips? Like if someone said, I want to improve my journalism skills, is that one of the things they need? You know, what's funny. I think I can say this in this context. I'm going to work. I think being nice gets me a lot farther than being kind of a stereotypical jerk. Like what you see at the white house. uh, (laughs) I've got a question. Yes. Um, And I think being like, I think people don't expect me to be, very smart or listening very well. And that has gotten me very mm. far. I have had, you know, I've been at the Bay Journal for 10 years and I still have people that I'll get, I'll get the, the boat to kayak to this island we're writing about. And the guy's like, do you know how to use a paddle? And I'm like, yes. Are you serious? Like, <laughs> you know, just the, the like stereotypical stuff you deal with of being like, 
okay, I'm going to use this to my advantage that they think I am an idiot and right. that I'm not listening and I'm not paying attention. And I actually have done my homework and I know what, you know, what's going on here. And I, I do know That's how to funny. use a paddle. I do know how to float in a boat and make it move. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, if you don't fit the mold, maybe that's an advantage sometimes. Mm, um, that's great. All right. So I want to transition and let our listeners know that not only are you doing this important work of um, journalism, but you also have written a brand new book and it's coming out in February and it has nothing to do with the environment <laughs> or how to do investigative journalism. Right. Um, but it's a, I can't wait to read it. Let me, the, the title of it is we shall all be changed how facing death with loved ones transforms us. And so, um, Whitney, you, your mom battled cancer for a while and, um, we'd love to hear just how, just your heart, like behind the book. And also just, we'd love to learn a little bit about your mom. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, totally, totally random. I mean, if you imagine people here, you're writing a book and I'm in my work setting and I have to switch gears and yeah, it's about, um, mm. you know, death and these intense <laughs> topics. But truly, yeah. it's about, you know, one of the central human experiences, losing those we love. Yeah. If, if it hasn't mm-hmm. happened, it will. We will all go through this. Uh, I think right. I began to write kind of related to this and to head toward a book, looking back um, after going through miscarriages and really mm. needing to write to process that in a new way, needing to get to that but God, needing to find feel my way to the Lord, um, as scripture puts it. And I, I, I didn't ever know if I could make that switch or, um, be a journalist and also a Christian writer. Um, so that was my beginning of doing that, doing some essays on that topic. And I was doing, um, the gospel center discipleship cohort. They have a writing cohort that I'd recommend to people if they're interested in Christian writing. And I met Mm -hmm. Trilly Newbell through that. And then that's, Mm-hmm. That was August of 2020. And this is funny. I had just had my third child in the midst of a pandemic. It was real chaotic around here. Um, she was mm-hmm. a, like a few weeks old and Trilly and I had a phone call. She asked about any story ideas. And I was like, I don't even have three brain cells to rub together right now. <laughs> um, so I think I just, you know, rambled off some stuff and, but she sent me their worksheet for proposals that I could use later. And so that was mm-hmm. August, and then my mom died in November, and pretty soon after that, um, you know, this became the thing I needed to needed to write about. Um, and I would say, like, the book is not—I didn't write it right then wh- when I lost my mom. It was probably I started writing a year after, and that makes it, I think, a really different book. Um, it's hmm. really processing. Okay, what has all of this? just hardness I've been living in. What is it producing in me? What is it? How is God at work in this? So it's a little more, how do we process, you know, a loss that was 20 years ago, 40 years ago, or really fresh? How do we see what God's doing in this theme of, of loss or of diagnosis, like a loved one that's, or, or just watching your parents age, watching yourself age. Um, These are all themes of death that are running through our reality that we are prone to run from and to not make time to process. And that was, you know, that was my story. My mom was diagnosed when I was in the seventh grade. Um, She was 41 and I, uh, she was, so she did treatment and then she had some years reprieve, but you know, it defined my, my upbringing my young adult years, my college years. 
Um, it was coming back when I was in college, when I was early married. And I was, there was times where I was just coping by not thinking about it. I mean, just all, getting through all those years. And I was, mm-hmm. and then the more you do that, the more you're afraid to really face, face mm. it. You're afraid of, okay, she hasn't had hair in seven years. I mean, at the end, she, had, she didn't have hair since my daughter was born, really, um, from all the treatments. And I would find myself like not taking pictures of, you know, the top of her head, right? Like really avoiding mm-hmm. what was going on. So then it was so surprising when she did die. And when I felt drawn by the Holy Spirit to be there and to be in that room and to have a good process, like I just felt this urgency. Uh, I was so surprised to find that this thing I'd been running from was a place of God's nearness. Um, You know, as he says, that the valley of the shadow of death, that he'll be with us. And so after experiencing God's witness that week, and then in the weeks to come after losing my mom, uh, it was just the place I wanted to be was in, I just wanted to linger in um, the fact that we have a savior who took on a body, who took on frailty and took on death. And that there's a way of knowing him and our loss that's unique. That's a, like a fellowshipping in his sufferings that mm-hmm. really, I think, is intended, right? We, we would have in the past had all of the birth and all the death happening in the house right, right there. We wouldn't have been able to run from it. And it would have shaped the way we lived from a young age. So looking back, that's my story is um, this thing I was running from was really a place of God's nearness and kindness. And I want to give other people an invitation to consider it, uh, hopefully before they have to, but also to process what they've been through. I'm so thankful that you've written this book. I mean, it is so needed and it sounds so beautiful. Missy, what were you going to say? No, I just was going to say it is, I think, really easy in a culture where we talk about mental health to think about um, some of the more about me mental health issues. I'm depressed. I'm feeling this. I'm, I'm, I'm. But when you walk along someone who has they're struggling Mm -hmm. and then then there's like this interpersonal struggle right because you are struggling and i'm struggling with the struggle um i I think that's a different kind of grief and processing you know what i mean and so i don't know i'm sure you're going to write about this in your book but Mm -hmm. what is something that you know now about that that you didn't know before that you Mm -hmm. feel like people should know this yeah, that's that's huge, Missy, because there are a lot of books that are like, I was diagnosed with cancer. I'm facing my own death, my own mortality. But mm-hmm. I didn't see anything that was for the rest of us that are walking alongside. Um, and so, you know, having cancer as long as my mom did it, it changed her. It changed our family dynamic. It was about her right. a lot. You know, the holidays, the and there was a lot that that just it was hard relationship for many of those years mm-hmm. because it was so consuming um, it consumed, you know, our relationship, her relationship with my kids, like everything was so intense for, for years and you can't keep up that intensity mm-hmm. for all those years. And so right. I was grateful that, you know, God gave me, like, I, I live in Virginia. She was in Kansas and I have my church family here and they could ask me, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. We know that this affects your mom, obviously, but it affects you too. And mm-hmm. so I would say that was just so critical to, 
to the marathon that cancer became for mm-hmm. us um, and will increasingly for people. A lot of people are living with cancer for a long time. It's chronic. Mm-hmm. It's a chronic health condition, really, with a lot of the medicine wow. can keep you alive much mm-hmm. longer. But we don't have language for this. Uh, we don't have language mm-hmm. for living right. under the shadow of death for that long. And for, you know, sometimes it's right in your face and sometimes it's not. And as you know, it'd be weird. Somebody would join our home group um, and be new and they'd be like, how's your mom? And somebody would ask that. And I'd say, oh, uh, she has cancer, but she's had cancer for a long time. Like, it's fine. You know, and I would have these weird answers. I'm like, what does this person think? Mm -hmm. I'm just insensitive. But you just live with it for so long that you've got to compartmentalize. You've got to keep going. And then you have times where it hits you. And so I want this book to be like a little corner for people to go to and say, mm-hmm. okay, I need to process this. I can't, I'm so busy. Good. I I don't have space um, to process the fact that my dad just got diagnosed or whatever it is, or my, my best friend has cancer at 33 or, you know, whatever that thing is. I just want them to have a corner to say, this affects you too. It does. It absolutely does. And God is not limited to, you know, that person's trial and, and you need to quiet down. Cause it's not really, you're not the one with cancer. Like, no, I mean, this is grievous for everyone involved. It touches everyone. And yeah. it's not, it doesn't just touch them after they're gone. It touches them leading up to the loss. The, the anticipatory grief is very real and it's very unique to each person, especially in a family. And it can be very isolating. Um, and so the, the hope we have in Christ, uh, the hope that we have in a, in a savior who has flesh, who is God with us, uh, is like nothing else I could offer people who are grieving. Right. Yes. Um, as much as I would like to write a secular book that would appeal to everyone, I, I don't know what else to offer people in grief, <laughs> right. you know, because yes. the, I, I didn't even try to write a book about Jesus per se. Right. But every chapter, the Holy spirit mm-hmm. would lead me to the person of Christ at the end of myself, I would run into Christ and his presence, his physical body, the holes in his hands, the grief that he took on mm. knowingly for me was my hope. And no mm. one else c- could meet me in grief the way that Jesus did. Mm. And that's Praise true for everyone who's willing to go there with him. Mm. I think. Gosh, that's beautiful. Mm. Of course, grief is is very difficult. And you mentioned that you have three kids, nine, six, and three years old. It wasn't like you know you could just stop life to 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 grieve. How have you navigated just this busy season of life? Your husband's got all his things going on. You talked about um, how have you been able to navigate the busyness and still take the time to process this grief? I, I think that was one of the hardest parts. That was one of my big beefs with God. Is not only do I not want to lose my mom at 33 and, you know, when my kids are young and not have, have them not have their grandma around who love them so much, Mm. but how can I be a mom and grieve? Like, how can I, I think I had this picture in my head of like fun mom. I just kept saying, I want to get back to fun mom. I used to be fun, you know, cause it, the change that it wrought in me was not welcome at first. Like I didn't Mm -hmm. want to be sad all the time. I didn't, I was afraid of how it affect them. Um, but my husband was, was great. Um, he has taken no classes on this either, but, uh, he, he just, you know, what are you afraid of? Just let them in, let them see it. Hmm. And when I Hmm. trusted that, um, the times that they would find me crying on the stairs and that they would comfort me and that I would let them in. Um, gosh, it not only developed empathy in them, 
um, and compassion, but it changed our family culture um, to one that, you know, really grief and joy are not like separate. They're really just right Hmm. there together. And the Mm -hmm. joy that we have in comforting each other in, um, you know, and then, and then the sweetness of having kids, like it felt hard. And I lamented to the Lord, I can't do this. I want to be happy, fun mom. But the way that my kids, like a pendulum swing back to joy so easily and how that would bring me along, you know, even if I was Hmm. grieving, it didn't, they didn't stay sad. You know, they would, they would enter in and then they would be back to bouncing around. And I needed that. I needed that, that tension, that balance of this life is hard and good in the richest Mm. sense of both of those words. And so, Mm. you know, I wouldn't have written this story. I wouldn't have wanted to grieve at this season with young kids, but it's also really chastened me and given me good perspective on the season of life with kids. Like there's some things that just didn't get to matter and they didn't need to matter. Um, as far as my ability to, I don't know, make like bento box lunches in a certain way or something like that. Like (laughs) the things that could slide needed to slide. Yes. And, um, and, and the kids, uh, have seen me, have seen me cry. And now it's, I mean, obviously they've seen me cry. I cry all the time, but they have permission to be sad about whatever Mm. it is that makes them sad. And then we Mm, get to have a family culture of, of talking about both, right. Of comforting each other. And, uh, and they have permission to talk about grandma. They have permission to remember. It's never going to make anybody sad. It's both a joy and a sadness. And, uh, it's kind of like inside out or, um, because of Winn-Dixie, both books I love working through with, that's a movie, Inside Out, and then Because of Winn-Dixie. And just this this bittersweetness that we have with remembering those we've loved. We're so grateful that we had the time we had and we remember together. Um, and that's what we do in our family now. You talk about having periods of time set aside for rest and bereavement. What does that look like? Because like it's one thing to have a culture in your home that says it's okay to cry, but what does it look like to say, no, I'm going to go be in this season for, or this time for a minute. Yeah. So from, from work. So being like a working mom, I think there's two things I needed to regularly rest from, which was my actual work. Like the, the need to produce something tangible and regular was very difficult Mm. at times in grief. And then the work of the home, the work of being a certain type of parent, I would need to rest from. So I did take a couple months off of work after we got back. Like after the funeral, we got COVID, which is very common. People get sick at funerals. Your body shuts down Mm kind of like after college finals or something. I was sick Mm -hmm. for like a month. I was really, really sick. And my body just just couldn't do it anymore. I was just so weary. Um, So I took some time and I thought, well, this is great. I'll just get this grieving thing over with and then I'll be back to my old self and I will be producing at the same clip. Instead, um, I use my bereavement time to organize my house maniacally like a crazy person. Really? <laughs> and then I just wasn't ready to grieve yet. I just wasn't, hmm. yeah. you know, it's just, is not on a timeline. I, that's, I would yeah. say it is not. So you have to be ready to make space when it, when it needs to be made, um, for the, for the process. So obviously the book was a big part. Writing the book became a big part of my grieving process. Um, as I, I, as I, you know, and so 
I like really miss writing it now because it's it was both it was like two of my main ways that I get back to um like my counselor calls it the c-suite the creativity the where you Mm. feel like your true self is writing and being alone (laughs) like isolation (laughs) um and so if I I did a couple like these little mini writing retreats that were like one overnight at an airbnb nearby and smart you know knowing that was on my calendar it'd be on my calendar for like two months that meant I could, I could bust out some fun mom now knowing that I have that space set aside that I'm going to go and process and, and work through this. Um, so that was really helpful. You know, that might be like a counseling session you have scheduled regularly. I know I've set aside time to deal with this. So when the emotion comes Mm -hmm. up as I'm walking into the doctor's appointment and conveniently, I can tell myself, I, I know I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to write down what I'm feeling. I'm going to make time and make regular time to talk about and process it. So that also in my relationships, I'm not throwing up emotion on everybody around me. I have wow. made space to process what's going on, whether that's reading a book, whether that's counseling, whether that's, um, you know, walks or whatever, whatever that looks like to feel like you are being your full, sad, whatever self before the Lord um, and you are not just performing all the time. Um, that mm. I think is, and then, you know, if you try to run from grief, in my experience, your body will not let you, uh, grief is very embodied and it comes out in various ways. Um, you know, I've gotten hives, I've gotten cold sores, wow. migraines, um, not like all the time. That sounds like I'm like a leper, but no, it's it, so interesting I mean, though. It, it will, and it will show me, okay, I'm dealing with this thing that I'm trying to outrun and I need to make some space to process it. I need to deal with this, uh, because I've seen where this goes. If I don't address it, right. It'll become chronic. It'll yeah. become a real problem. So I think receiving the way that your body is you know, connected and maybe knows some things you're not ready to process and just making time with the Lord to do that. That's great. Whitney, I'm a, I'm a believer that the Lord doesn't waste anything. Like he just doesn't. Mm -hmm. And as I'm Mm -hmm. listening to your story, I'm like, you're a journalist, but so many of the things that you've gone through have given you words, have given Mm -hmm. you the language to write in a way that I think it's just different when you haven't had those experiences. And so it just, it's not a question. It's more like a thought, just how impactful your mother's life and that journey and even writing through that book can even have an impact on your just regular writing because of the words that you've been given because of your experience. And it's just so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to say about like having kids when you're going through grief too, is that I had to trust that God would use this in my own life, right? That's like the thesis of my book, that God uses loss to transform us. And then I had to trust that God could use it for my kids too, that he could allow this trial into their lives. Um, I wouldn't have written a story that didn't include their grandma for the rest of their lives, you know, this woman who delighted in them and made them feel like the center of the world. Um but I have to trust that it's part of each of their testimonies and each of the works that God is doing in their lives. So it's, and I, it's funny because, um, in my dedication to the book, I say something like to mom that never wanted, that knew I could do hard things, but never wanted me to have to. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, I, I feel that for my kids too, right? Like I know they can do hard things. I would not have allowed any of these for them, but God is a better father than I, than I am. He's a better parent and he has their sanctification in view even now. So to trust that these things are coming through his, his hands, through his fingers, um, and that he's allowing them and, but not without his present help in trouble. That's good. Whitney, um, we're nearing the end here, but for those people who you talked about, you mentioned sort of briefly this anticipatory grief where they know they're about to lose someone that they dearly love. What should they know? So what I said about the body, about grief being embodied, and that's not like yoga speak. That's we have a God who, who put on flesh, right? So that is right. central to our belief. We need to really return to a theology of the body, why the body exists, what it teaches us, how it contains the themes of creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Hmm. And so, I mean, I talked through like a theology of death in the book as well. Like when you're confronted with these themes, what bucket do you put it in? The fact that we want healing that's because we were made to live forever. You know, we were made good. And so that we can hold that. But then because of the fall, we don't look for healing in this life alone. We look forward to to our consummation, right? So having a theology that can help you work through some of the things you're experiencing so bodily. Um, and, and you'll find that in the Psalms, if nowhere else, right? That's, you hear David talking so much about his embodied experience of the Lord and grief. And then um, one of the themes I explore in the book is the theme of shadows and that so often, you know, when I say that God was with me, I didn't necessarily feel that when I was in it. Right. Like I didn't, I wasn't like, it was not a mountaintop situation. I felt alone many times, but then it's in, in looking back um, or even, even right afterward, I would see that this this dark, this darkness I felt in that kind of bottom of the pit. Um, you know, I that if, what if that that feeling of alone and darkness is actually the shadow of the presence of God, mm. and just Him holding us, um, his, Him being with us. And I think in looking back, we can see that the things we thought were Him pushing us away were actually Him bringing us near. Right. The, the thing we've been eating on about our circumstances is actually his, his chest, his, his, he's taking mm. it with us, right? With the, the thing that we're feeling. Um, and so when you don't feel that, just hang on. Um, when you don't believe that you, then you hold in two hands. Um, this feels terrible and you are good. And I don't know how those go together and that's okay. And you just hold them in two hands for as long as you need to. And, and you trust that in the story of scripture, all things will be made clear and all things will be made right and beautiful. And so you can be just where you are right now and trust that God is doing a work that you can't yet name or see. It is so good. It's so good. Well, as we close, um, man, you're, you're, your testimony and your words are just so beautiful. As we close, what is one piece of advice that you would leave with women who want to honor God through their vocation, through their calling? So I, I tell people this a lot, especially when they're making those decisions about, you know, should I work? Should I stay home? Should I, 
change, you know, whatever. I would say that when work of any kind gets hard, don't assume it's because you're doing the wrong thing. Mm. I would, my first assumption when work gets hard is that it's because of the fall, right? It's thorns and thistles <laughs> of work. Yes. And yes. I would say a better barometer of a need for change is what I would call restlessness, like a prolonged season mm. of restlessness. Um, and not just, I don't like this, but I'm feeling drawn toward this other thing, right? I mm. want to do this. Wanting to quit the thing you're doing is probably not a sign that you need to stop doing the thing you're doing, right? It's a <laughs> sign that, you know, and I'm not, I don't know, I you need to walk through the, this with the Holy Spirit, right? But that it might be a sign that you're exactly where God wants you. If his goal is mm. your sanctification, right? What is God's will for you? Your sanctification. And so when it's hard, I would not assume that the eject button is the right immediate move for a Christian. Um, endurance. You have need of endurance, right? Yes. And you can trust that God will use the hard to shape you. So That's just great. just keep doing it, you know. That's a good word. Right. Yes, That's a good is. word. Whitney, what a pleasure to have you on the podcast. This has just been yes. so encouraging. And I know our listeners will be just encouraged as well in, in several different ways today. Um, they can go ahead and pre-order your book, correct? It's out for pre-order. Yes. We can order it. All right. So we'll make sure to include uh, that link in our show notes. And thank you once again for coming on. Thank you, ladies. Thank you again for joining us on this episode of the Women in Work podcast. We loved Whitney's gentle reminder of the goodness of God through grief and loss, but then also just the wisdom and insight she gave when you think about what it means to be a journalist and to step into the world with your voice in written form. It was so beautiful. That's right. And so we pray, listeners, you guys have been challenged and inspired in your own calling to honor God, to image Him to the world through your work and to leverage your potential for His glory. And guys, if our show is a source of encouragement to you, we really would ask you to partner with us. You can give at womenwork.net slash give to make a one-time donation, or you can become a monthly partner. And of course, we also would love for you to um, check out our book. We hope it would serve you. It's called Women in Work, Bearing God's Image and Join in his mission through our work. You can purchase your copy at today's show notes. So thank you again for joining us. 